0: Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Guardians 2, the Tampa Bay Rays 1, without going to extra innings. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field. The thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And this was a pretty simple baseball game. This is not going to be a long episode, because the storylines in this game... I mean, it it basically boils down to three things. It boils down to a Guardians 8th inning rally. It boils down to Trevor Steffen walking an absolute tightrope in the ninth inning. And it boils down to a pitcher's duel for most of this game. For most of this game, both starters were absolutely locked in and shutting things down. The lefty, Jeffrey Springs, for the Rays versus Cal Quantrill. For the Guardians. And I mean, Quantrill pitching at home was the result ever in doubt. Come on. The guy literally has been like over 30 games now. He does not lose a home game. It just doesn't happen. That's why I'm saying he should pitch game two of this wildcard series. Right now, he's lined up to pitch game three. Uh, They do have their pitching staff kind of set up and ready to go. Bieber's going to get one more start against Kansas City, and then he's going to be lined up on five days. Normal normal rest, pitch every five days. Uh, he's going to be lined up to go game one of the wild card series. And then uh, McKenzie will be right behind him for game two, and Quantrill will be pitching game three. And then they kind of move Savali and Plesak so that Savali would be set up to start game one of the uh, ALDS on a pretty much normal five-day rest. Plisak, don't, I don't know if he's going to get a start. I'm guessing they go back to Bieber. They go down to a four-man rotation uh, in the ALDS. So that's how they've, they've got it lined up. It's, it's perfectly set up to run the rotation through one more time through Kansas City and get them all tuned up for the end of the season. I'm guessing that's why you're not seeing starters go super deep into games. I mean, Quantrill only throws 86 pitches on this one. I'm guessing he's getting to the point where Francona's like, okay, give me solid starts, put in your work, uh, but nobody's going to go deep. I mean, unless someone's pitching a no-hitter, maybe. Uh, no one's going to get close to 100 pitches uh, through this Kansas City series. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this one uh, turned into a fun one, but God, it was a boring game. Up until that 8th inning. I mean, the Guardians barely threatened. They were just kind of going through the motions here. And then we get into the 8th inning. And suddenly, all it takes is a Will Brennan pinch hit. And this team just comes alive. So Brennan does a great job. He gets in there uh, against Armstrong, who's trying to go multiple innings. Because remember, the uh, the uh, bullpen is just absolutely taxed for... Uh, for the Rays. I mean, they've gone through so many pitchers with the ridiculous extra inning game on uh, to start the series, then the short start by Glass now in his return. So their bullpen is absolutely taxed. So Armstrong tries to go multiple innings in this one. Uh, he uh, And he runs into trouble. He runs into Will Brennan. Uh, starts him off, uh, chases a sinker, a two-seamer away. Uh, misses with a fastball high, tries to come in with a cutter now. Okay, I can't blame him for the pitch mix here. Two pitches away, then trying to come in with a cutter, and he jumps all over it, shoots it into right field at 95.1 miles per hour. So, absolutely ready for the low inside pitch, and does what a lefty does, takes a low inside pitch, and pulls it into right field. Good stuff from Will Brennan to kick off the inning. All right, we got something rolling here. Miles Straw comes up, a nine-hitter. He's got to lay down that sack bunt, get the guy into scoring position. I know some of you don't love bunting, but I think we can all admit the ninth hitter in the eighth inning when you're just trying to scratch across one run is an acceptable time to bunt. You get that guy in scoring position. Straw, who's not really known, he hasn't come through in the clutch this season. Let's be honest. He lays off a, a two-seamer. Uh... Or he lays off a fastball that was right down the middle for uh, strike one. I uh, makes it a one-one count. I don't know why he didn't bunt at that one, but takes a uh, two-seam sinker in the same spot and uh, bunts it towards first base. Gets Brennan over to second base as he's thrown out at first, and that brings up Stephen Kwan. I li- I like this. I li- with Kwan up to bat. I like this move. I mean, if there's anybody on this team I trust to get a hit, it's Stephen Kwan. And uh, I like moving a runner in the scoring position in front of him. This one makes sense. There's other times where it doesn't make sense. This one makes sense. So uh, Quan comes up. He uh, takes a four-seam fastball for a called strike. He takes a uh, a two-seam sinker down below the knees, lays off it for a ball, gets another fastball up and away. And what do you do, a left-handed hitter with a fastball up and away? You shoot it down the left field line. You shoot it to the opposite field. Brennan got that cutter down and in, turned on it, quick hands, pulled it into right field. He gets a fastball up and away. He's seen this pitch twice and shoots it down the left field line for an RBI double and ties the game up. I mean, Quan is just amazing. If you didn't get a chance, uh, Zach Meisel, I know I sing his praises sometime. friend of the show, right? He did come on and, and do an interview with us a few seasons ago. Um, he has a great article in The Athletic. I know it's stuck behind a paywall, but he sat down with Quan and broke down the nine-pitch grand slam at-bat and some amazing insights from how Quan breaks down an at-bat, how he breaks down a pitcher while he's standing in the batter's box. And he says that he can see the difference between the fastball and the breaking ball as it's leaving the hand. He could pick it up that quickly, pick up the spin on the ball. So when I tell you he sees that four seam fastball, which he'd already seen once in that at bat and was locked in on it, these are coming straight from Quan's mouth. You know, these words are coming straight from his mouth. He can pick up that spin, that fastball spin. He knows what's coming there out of that pitcher's hand. Uh, so he does exactly what he's supposed to do. Uh, in this grand slam at-bat, right, he got a pitch that was in, and he pulled it for a grand slam. Uh, this one against Armstrong, he gets up and away, and he just stays on it and shoots it in the left field, drops it on the line. Uh, David Peralta hustling in, can't even get it fast enough. Quan's boom into second base before he knows it. So, yeah, a beautiful, beautiful at-bat from Stephen Quan uh, Ahmed Rosario would ground out. Uh he got a pitch away, he you know, tries to shoot it to the right side, but grounds out to second base. It moves Kwan up to third. Uh they intentionally walk Jose Ramirez, showing respect to the MVP candidate. Look, we all know candidate. I mean, it's pretty obvious Judge is gonna be the MVP this year. There's I mean, come on, he's basically gonna, he he's working on the triple crown. He, he tied the American League record for home runs. Uh, some would say the Major League Baseball record for home runs. I'm not going to go that far, uh, but uh, yeah, I, Aaron Judge is the MVP this season. So I, love, I love Jose Ramirez just as much as the next Guardians fan, but we all have to show a little respect to the Judge on this season. Uh, Gonzalez comes up. My God, first pitch, being ultra aggressive, gets jammed inside. This is not what you want to do but somehow he hits this weak dribbler towards first base. G-Man Choi comes off first to try to field it. Nobody can beat Oscar Gonzalez to first base. Stephen Kwan comes in to score. Believe it or not, the game-winning hit in this one was hit at 49.3 mile per hour exit velocity at a negative 10-degree launch angle and went 14 feet with an expected batting average of 150, and it was your game-winning hit. Boy, if that ain't the game of Major League Baseball, I mean, just when you you think you're doing everything right, uh, this happens. And uh, suddenly the Guardians are uh, celebrating and you're standing there going, "What? what? How did that, how did that beat us? Armstrong's thinking to himself, I jammed him so hard up and in with my sinker. How in the world did that beat us? it did, because the Guardians run the bases, because they hustle, because Quan even hustled in a second to get that double in the first place, because they moved him up a bag. They, you know, he did the right thing, he stayed to the right side, and at least moves him up, and we've said it a hundred times on the show, there's so many ways to score from third, with two outs it gets a lot harder than one out, but this is one of them. This is one of them. A weak infield single that just kind of ends up in no man's land and pulls the first baseman off the bag. And Oscar Gonzalez has enough speed to beat everybody there. I mean, they don't even make a play. I, they He has to eat it. Like, it's just, it's kind of an embarrassing moment for the Rays infield. And uh, Gonzalez gives the Guardians the lead. So that's the huge storyline of the game. And that leads into Trevor Steffen in the. Uh, Oh, boy. Uh, he does get Andres Jimenez to, uh, to fly out on a first pitch. He flies out to David Peralta. So they were being very aggressive against Armstrong. Uh, and that brings up Trevor Steffen. Trevor Steffen to face the uh, some of the best hitters in the Rays lineup. Starts with Wander Franco, the number three hitter. And, uh, okay, Steffen gets into a lot of trouble here. He throws a ton of pitches, 34 pitches in this ninth inning, only 16 strikes. He's going for his potential third save of the season, and uh, he had already struggled in the uh, extra inning games two nights ago to start the series right. He takes the loss in that one, giving up two runs, one one unearned because it's the pinch runner that starts in second in the, what was it, the 11th inning. So he's back out there uh, trying to get the save, trying to save Karacek and Klasse, who had pitched the last two nights, um, and he's got his work cut out for him. Now, here's the thing what I'll say about Stefan. It was one of those nights where the ninth inning just does different things than the eighth inning does. And pitches that would work in the eighth inning, pitches that get him strikeouts in the eighth inning, just weren't working in the ninth inning. And he's probably got to be standing on the mound going, what the heck do I have to do? These, this, this splitter strikes people out in the eighth inning. Why is it not working here? So we'll go through the at-bats. Uh, Stefan throws a ton of fastballs at Wander Franco, uh, misses with a slider, uh, starts him off with a fastball up and in, uh, that he misses with for ball one, throws him another fastball up and away. Clearly the scouting report was throw Wander Franco high fastballs, uh, throws him another one up and away that he fouls off tries to throw him a slider up and away, like a backdoor slider that just misses the strike zone. I mean, that had to have been right on the black, and he doesn't get the call. Then comes back with another four-seam fastball up and away that he follows off. Goes for the splitter, but kind of throws it at his feet. I mean, if that pitch is a little bit higher at the knees, who knows what happened, but it's basically on the plate, and he can lay off it for a full count. And then comes back with another fastball up and away, and Franco lays off shows some patience, takes his walk. All right, he's on base to kick off the inning, not the way we wanted to start. Harold Ramirez comes up. Again, clearly the scouting report said throw Harold Ramirez sliders, and he does. Doesn't even go to that splitter once. Four sliders in a row. Misses with the first one, gets the next one over, and then pounds the next two down and away in the strike zone, and Ramirez just can't. Harold Ramirez just can't do it. He can't reach him. Uh, so he strikes out swinging on four Sliders, you're thinking to yourself, all right, fine. All right, Stefan, Stefan's in his groove now. He's got this. Nope. David Peralta, he misses with four straight pitches. He tries everything, misses with a splitter low, misses with a slider away, misses with two fastballs up, one in, one out. Can't find the strike zone. Walks David Peralta on four pitches. And now you're thinking, Oh no, Trevor Stefan doesn't have it. This is going to be bad. Margot's up now. Good hitter. what's gonna happen in this one? Well, it's an eight-pitch at bat. That turns into another walk. He's trying to go fastballs up and sliders down. And it's just not working for him. Uh, Misses with a splitter way inside on the fifth pitch. It's the only splitter he would throw. Uh, But two fastballs up, two sliders down. He's got it at a 2-2 count. Uh, Misses with that splitter. And it seemed like he was struggling with the grip on that splitter, location on that splitter all night. Goes with another four-seam fastball up high and tight that he fouls off fine. Goes with another slider down, mixing it up, that he fouls off. Goes with another slider, I'm telling you right, at the knees. Just, oh, God, just below the strike zone. And the ump gets the call right because this pitch on StatCast is just below the strike zone. He gets no benefit of the doubt from that ump, and he walks Margot to load the bases now for G-Man Choi. Uh, All right, Uh, this inning has gotten away from us a little bit here. Bases loaded, protecting a one-run lead. Choi up now. Starts him out with a four-seam fastball for a called strike. Okay, that pitch is working for him. Tries to throw the splitter. Nope, misses wildly way off the batter's box. Okay, he's got to get that splitter under control if he has any hope in this at-bat in this game. Does. Throws one on the plate this time that he fouls off. Throws another one in the dirt that he lays off. All right, we're in a 2-2 count. I like this, though. Two splitters down, what do you follow it up with? A fastball up at the top of the zone and blows him away at 95 miles per hour. Don't forget Trevor Steffen can get it up there in the mid to high 90s with that fastball. That fastball is no joke. Uh, So he's got to use it effectively, and he does here. Gets it high, gets it up on G-Man Choi, and blows it past him at 95.1 base bases loaded. All right, we're going again with Isak Paredes this time, the former Detroit Tiger. What's going to happen in this at-bat? Everything is on the line right here. Starts him off with a slider. He's been throwing a lot of sliders down and away to those right-handed hitters, and that's what he starts him off with here. Nails the outside edge for a called strike. Comes back with a four-seam fastball at the top of the zone for a called strike. Okay, he is cooking 0-2 now. He has got this. Stefan is going to get out of this, right? Slider away, doesn't chase. Down and away, doesn't chase. Uh, leaves it pretty far off the play, but he was going for the strikeout. I get it, and that's the kind of pitch where I'm saying in the eighth inning, he's thinking to himself, that's a strikeout. Come on, that's a strikeout in the eighth inning. Then throws him the splitter down and away. He fouls it off. Again, he's thinking to himself, come on, in the eighth inning, that's a strikeout. What is happening here? Okay, two off-speed pitches down, goes fastball high, but goes way too high with it. Throws it up at his head easy to lay off, makes it a 2-2 count. Then he goes splitter down and in again, and he lays off the splitter. I appreciate the pitch mix going high fastball, low off speed. He just can't locate this one, and he doesn't get him to chase. So now we're in a full count uh, situation here. A seventh pitch of that bat He goes fastball high again, and he gets Paredes to pop it up. Finally, after all those foul balls, they finally put one in play. I mean, he couldn't even get a ball in play to let his defense help him out in this inning. He was trying. I mean, I don't blame Stefan totally on this inning. It was kind of a bizarre inning. He doesn't get a couple of calls right on the edges. They're fouling everything off. If they put some of those things in play, maybe his defense picks him up. But finally, he gets Paredes to pop out, and Andres Jimenez runs it down in short right field to end the game. So he definitely walks the tightrope. It's definitely a mess of his own making with three walks in the inning. Not exactly what you want to see from someone trying to close out a game in the ninth inning, but he gets the job done. He walks away from it with his third save of the season. So I'm telling you, if the storyline wasn't in those last two half innings, I, I don't know. I don't know. There's there's not nothing else from the rest of this game that's remotely as interesting as what happened in the bottom of the eighth and the top of the ninth inning. So, Stefan walks away from it, throws a lot of pitches, but he walks away from it with the save, and the Guardians walk away with the win. So, hey... Sometimes it doesn't matter how you get the job done as long as you get the job done. And Stefan is not going to be put in that position very often. He's basically the third person we would go to in a safe situation on this team. Uh, so he probably doesn't have to stress that that's going to happen too often come playoff time. All right, so what happened that led up to this? Well, Quantrill uh, gets into a little bit of trouble, a little two-out rally by the Rays in the first inning. Wander Franco, after a very long Randy Orozarena at Bath, jumps on the first pitch, and shoots a double into the gap at 100.2 miles per hour. Uh, Harold Ramirez would get hit by the pitch, and then David Peralta would just single up the middle. Wander Franco had moved up the third on a wild pitch, and uh, Peralta would single up the middle and drive him in for the game's first run in the first inning. And then Quantrill would and Springs, frankly, would just go to work. These two would just duel. Uh, They both go six innings. They both give up three hits. No runs for Springs. One run for Quantrill in that first inning. No walks for either pitcher. Five strikeouts for Spring. Four for Quantrill. Uh, Both throw around 80-plus pitches. 88 for Springs. 86 for Quantrill. Springs is only hard hit twice. Quantrill does get hard hit a little bit more. He gives up six hard hit balls, but both of them limiting damage throughout the game. Now, what's crazy here is if I go over to the illustrator, uh, you're going to see Springs throws a ton of changeups. My God. They were talking about it on the TV broadcast. These guys were begging. Andre Knott was saying these guys were begging for some fastballs to hit, and he was just throwing them change-up after change-up after change-up. Meanwhile, Quantrill was doing his thing, uh, his uh, cutter-two-seamer combo, uh, throwing the two-seamer in the change-up very much to the arm side of the plate, throwing the cutter to the glove side of the plate. The away side of the plate for him, but the uh count breakdown is what I really want to look at here. My god, Quantrill was being was so ahead of every batter in this game. He starts off four guys of everybody he faces in this game, right? How many bats does he have? Uh, 21 at bats. He starts four guys off one and oh, nobody reaches two and oh, not a single batter reaches 2-0 and off of him. He jumps back to 1-1 and just works ahead the whole night. It's all down the left side. When you look at the, uh, it's like a kind of a diamond shape when you look at the, uh, or an oval shape when you look at the count breakdown. And the left side of the plate is, left side of the diagram is where you have all the 0-1 counts, 0-2 counts, 1-2 counts, 2-2 counts. It's the pitcher being ahead. You want to be on the left side of this chart. And he is all over on the left side of this chart. I mean, completely on the left side. It's amazing how far ahead Quantro was working the entire game. What were they throwing going to that player breakdown page? I told you uh, Springs was throwing a ton of changeups 44% changeup, 39 changeups to only 20 fastballs, mixing 18 sliders and 11 two seam sinkers, and a good whiff rate on that changeup, too. A 38% whiff rate, 24 swings, 9 whiffs. They did put 12 in play, but with an average exit velocity of 76.5. Oof, that's some weak contact right there from Jeffrey Springs. So that's, I mean, that's what was going on for Springs. It's a 36% total CSW on the day for Springs. On the other side for Quantrill, not a high whiff rate at all. Only 6 whiffs on 45 swings. Only a 13% whiff rate on the day for him. He did have a few called strikes, mostly on that sinker and that cutter. Um, so it's uh, it's not a very high CSW for him. Uh, it ends up being a twenty three percent total CSW on the day. Uh, they were hitting that uh, sinker uh, with uh, some authority and that cutter, not not really though. I mean, eighty six point nine for the sinker, eighty two point six average exit velocity for the cutter. So even that we would consider a decent day. 83 mile per hour average exit velocity total on the day. Uh, Just not compared to what Springs was doing on the other side. He had the average exit velocity of 80.1 on the day. So, yeah, Quantrill uh, pitches really, really effectively on the day. And, I mean, that was the storyline of this game. And the Guardians bullpen once again goes to work. Shaw comes in, gives up a hit, but gets a clean inning. No runs. De Los Santos is dominant again in the eighth inning. I heard a lot of chatter on Guardians Twitter about De Los Santos, and yeah, he has been filthy lately, uh, absolutely attacking. And uh, let's see what his game log looks like in this one. But on eleven pitches, gets two strikeouts in the inning. Remember, he had the immaculate inning. Uh, was that yesterday's game, or was that you know, was that game two of the series? Uh, game log will tell us in a second right here. So, yeah, he's been pitching very, very good. Now, that was game one of the series where he has the immaculate inning. Uh, He, for the month of September, all right, well, it's a 3.86 ERA for the month of September, but it's a 0.86 whip. It's 14 strikeouts to three walks. Uh, He gives up the runs in two games. He had a struggle in Minnesota, uh, a game against Minnesota on the ninth, and then gave up two runs to uh, Minnesota. Okay, so he struggled against Minnesota. Uh, two runs to the Minnesota on the 18th. Everybody else he's uh, pitched very well against in the month of September. So, struggled against Minnesota. Everybody else, he's been really, really strong for this month. Uh, so, yeah, his last three outings, he's been rock solid. Uh, hasn't been touched in his last three outings. So, yeah, the Guardians' bullpen actually go in this series. I mean, Stefan gives up the runs in extra innings uh, in the 11th inning of Game 1 of the series. Uh other than that, this Guardians bullpen has pitched 12 innings of one-run baseball in this series. That's elite stuff. That is pretty good stuff. I mean, the Rays bullpen has been no joke on the other side of things. I think they've only given up one run until Armstrong came in last night and gave up two in the eighth. So they've given up three runs over the series. So, I mean, they've been no joke on the other side. They've been tough. But the Guardians bullpen, I mean, yeah except for that extra innings where that runner starts on second, uh, they have been absolutely pitching shut out baseball uh, and that's what you love to see coming down the stretch. I mean right now, did you think the Guardians could touch 90 wins when this season started? Did you have them projected there? I mean they could they're gonna they should break 90 wins on this season and that's gonna be our season that you're gonna look back on proudly right there. Um, yeah, I mean, most projections had, I mean, some projections had them in the 70 wins and they're about to break 90 wins. I, you know, thought this team was capable. I don't do many, I don't do much prognosticating preseason and stuff like that, but you know, in my head, I probably had them in the mid eighties. I thought they'd be competitive this season. I didn't think they'd, I didn't know they'd break 90 wins. I'm even a little surprised on that. So, uh yeah, let's see if we can get there. Let's keep it going like Francona says, when you cross those lines, you got to give it 100%. So let's see if they keep it going against uh Kansas City and keep racking up wins. Keep the momentum going in progressive field so when the potential wild card team which right now we did it. We did it. We got it to be Tampa Bay. I mean, you know if it's Tampa Bay, you're looking at one run games. That's just what you're it's going to happen. Uh, but if everything stays the way it is right now, we would face Tampa Bay in that first round. Seattle has moved a half game up into the second spot where they would go to Toronto. So uh, the playoffs are pretty much set. Baltimore still has an incredible outside chance. Uh, they're technically mathematically not eliminated yet, but they have to have everything go right for them in these final six games uh, to reach that final wildcard spot. So you're pretty much looking at a set playoff in the American League. Um, other notes from this game, uh, Gabriel Arias did get a chance to play first base. We finally saw somebody else play first base and Arias has been working on in the minors. It's interesting. Uh, they said that he kind of saw the light in the minors and kind of got out of his head that I don't have to, if I want to play major league baseball, it might not be as a shortstop. I'm going to have to play other positions. And he, I, they said, you know, from the interviews and things like that, from, What I'm hearing from the play-by-play guys and the broadcast teams, he kind of said, look, I'll play first base. I'll play left field. Get me on the field. Uh, Get me up to the majors, you know. Let me be versatile so that I have value up at the majors. He saw, uh, you know, what was there and what other guys were doing and getting called up to the majors and their versatility and figured I got to get on that bandwagon. I got to be able to play multiple positions so that I have a chance to make this roster that has a bunch of veterans ahead of me. So, uh, yeah, he plays some first base and this is going to be interesting because that is valuable to them when they're constructing their playoff roster. Uh, does he beat somebody out? You know, uh, One of our emailers challenged me the other day to set my 26-man roster, and I said Arias probably would be the first one to go because Freeman's got you covered on so many of those positions. But not only does Arias give you first base, he also gives you left field and third base and shortstop. So, yeah, Arias has a lot of value to a playoff roster, especially if you don't want to carry Will Benson in the outfield. If you're going to carry Will Brennan and your normal starting three outfielders, Arias gives you that fifth outfielder option. If you gotta pinch hit, if you've got to get a guy in there, he could play multiple positions. So Arias making himself valuable by showing he could play first base. And I didn't see anything in the game that was egregious at first base, like Owen Miller's footwork out there. Uh so yeah. So and the other guy, the other guy, which I can't believe we're saying it, is Bo Naylor, Josh Naylor's younger brother. He didn't get called up but he got invited to Cleveland to sit here basically as what they call the taxi squad. It's guys that if there is an injury are already here in Cleveland in the dugout, ready to go in the next day, uh into the roster the next day. And he's up here because there's a possibility. Francona said, look, I'm not carrying I'm not carrying a long reliever in my bullpen for the wild card series. Because if the long reliever comes in, we've lost the series. Like that's just it's that, it's that tight in this three-game series. Uh, he's going to try to win it in two, probably. Just get it over with. And, uh, yeah. So he's not going to carry. So that might open up a spot on the bench for a third catcher. And they can actually make that work roster-wise. Uh, with guys on the 60-day IL, uh, their roster spot could go to anybody. Um, so there are ways that Antonetti and Chernoff can make that work. Uh, So, I mean, it would be crazy, it would be insane, a guy who hasn't played here all season can suddenly be on your playoff roster, but carrying a third catcher might come with a little bit of value, it allows you to pinch hit even more, uh, you know, when the game gets down and it gets tight, because frankly, your catchers aren't your biggest offensive weapons, but, I mean, what, talk about a wild card in the wild card series, my God, calling him a guy that has zero major league experience for the playoffs? I mean, Bo Naylor can hit. Bo Naylor can absolutely hit. But he's never faced Major League pitching. And you're going to ask him to face either the, the Rays pitching staff or the Mariners pitching staff in a playoff series? Whew, that is a tough way to start your Major League career. But, uh, I mean, if he's anything like his older brother, uh, I wouldn't expect Josh Naylor to have any fear in the batter's box. And I'd expect the same from Bo. Uh, I don't know. Hey, brothers are not always alike, but uh, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see uh, if that comes to fruition, what that looks like. If Does he even get in a game, or is it just an emergency situation to have an emergency catcher on the roster? So a lot of fun stuff, a lot of machinations and things going on in the Guardians front office right now. They are playing out every possible scenario. If you think they're just sitting there going, no, no, we're just going to go with our guys. No, 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 no. They are thinking through scenario single scenario. This is not a front office that's ever been accused of not thinking things through. So yeah, there's going to be some exciting decisions made for this wild card roster. All right. I think that's all my thoughts on this one. I guess we did have a full episode here. Um, Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Again, the final, you know, it turned into a fun one. Frankly, they did me a favor. They saved all the fun stuff for when I could finally sit down and enjoy the game. You know, these 6 o'clock starts, we're all coming home from work. I had to stop at the grocery store. You know, by the time you actually sit down uh, and watch the game, uh, it's in the middle to late innings. I had it on the radio, but it's not the same, mostly because Hamilton gets so distracted these days that I had no clue what was going on early in the game, and it turns out there was nothing really going on uh, worth sharing on the radio. I mean, it's not to say that he doesn't call the plays, but he gets into other conversations with himself. Uh, so yeah, so finally when this game got interesting is about the time that I finally got to actually sit down and enjoy it. So uh, thank you, Guardians, for doing that for me. Again, the final, it's the Guardians 2, the Rays 1. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Barris. You can email the show at Mornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game. Let me know your thoughts on the playoff roster. Come on, fill up this inbox. Let me know your thoughts on winning the division. I still haven't heard from some of you. Some of my regular emailers out there, I want to know how you celebrated winning the division, what you thought of it, what you think about the playoff roster. We'll discuss it on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.